0: Our reading from God's Word this morning will come from the book of Philippians, our second sermon in our series about joy this summer. Our reading is Philippians chapter 1, starting at verse 12, going through verse 26. Philippians chapter 1, 12 through 26. And as you're flipping there, if you would, let's stand in honor of the reading of God's Word together. Thank you. Philippians 1. 12 through 26. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear through the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ. So that through my being with you, again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. And we're so thankful to God for his word. You may be seated. seems we've had a bit of a change in the schedule this morning, which works out well. I was a little nervous about my time. But we're going to go ahead and get into the study of God's word that we just read. And I'm very excited about this message this morning. This whole series, really. Uh, I have been getting a lot out of it. I hope you have as well. Please join me in one more quick word of prayer for God's blessing on us as we study His Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We confess that it is true, that Your Word is what is helpful for us this morning. And Lord, I come to You praying just for Your help, that You would help me to convey it clearly and accurately. Help me avoid saying anything that is not true according to your word. And help us all to have open hearts and open eyes and ears so that we would see and hear your truth, that it would sink in and that we would be changed forever. And we pray these things in your son's precious name, amen. So last week, we studied how joy is connected to love. And we talked about the Philippian church and how they had a great love and affection for each other. And how that love and affection for each other brought about joy in God through Jesus. And how that love was inextricably connected to the gospel. We talked about the fact that God is love. And therefore there is no love without God. And there is no way to access God except through the gospel. So we studied about how advancing the gospel is what really was the catalyst for their love for each other. And thus their joy. This Sunday, we're going to talk about purpose. How joy is connected to purpose. There was a book that came out a number of years ago. You guys may recognize it. Called The Purpose Driven Life. I would bet that many people in this church own this book. Many have probably read it. When I got this book, it was given to me... It says here, over 6 million copies sold. That was that was probably, gosh, maybe 10 years ago? Has it been out that long? Something like that. No, 2003, he wrote a note in it. 6 million copies sold in 2003. It's 2009 right now. And if I'm correct, I think that he's sold well over 25 million copies of this now. That's huge. And I think the reason why... Is because nobody knows the answer to this question on the bottom. It's called Rick Warren, The Purpose Driven Life. What on earth am I here for? I think people resonated with that. They're like, I don't know. What on earth am I here for? I used to work at a place called The Mattress Firm. I used to be a mattress salesman. Some of you may know this already. Um, There's one of my many jobs to get me through college and seminary. And my first day there... I thought it would be full of training, you know, learning mattress specs and sales techniques. And my first day there, I went in and the guy that I would be working with, my manager, he was this tall guy, he's about a foot taller than me, real slender. And he was passionate about mattress sales. Very passionate about mattress sales. And he would talk to you and you felt like you were sitting with the Yoda of mattress sales. He just had... Just wisdom about how mattress sales in life are really one. And and Meredith remembers this guy. He's really a great guy. We became good friends. Uh, he's from up north, so every other word was profane. Not that everybody from up north is like that, but different from what I'm used to. I attributed it from being from uh, North Dakota, I think. But at the end of the day, it had been, I don't know, six, seven hours, however long my shift was of being with this guy. Just... Taking all this in, I mean, I thought it was just going to be a job about making some money. But, I mean, this was serious business to him and everybody else in the mattress firm. And on the way out of the car, he said, oh, you have some homework to do after your first day. I said, okay, you know, I wanted to do well. I said, what is it? A couple of things. I needed to go buy a three-ring binder. I needed to fill it with some blank paper. This three-ring binder was going to be my personal development folder. The mattress firm was giving me a purpose, I mean a uh, personal development folder. And then I needed to sit down and write out my purpose statement. That was my assignment after my first day at the mattress firm. And he said, your purpose statement doesn't have to have anything to do with mattresses specifically. Just your, what are you doing? What's your mission? Your mission statement. And so I got in my car and I sat there. And I thought, you know, I've been in Bible college for several years. I think I was even in seminary at this point. And I don't think I ever had so clearly put forth to me, why are you doing all this? What are you doing? What is your mission? What's your purpose? And it took this mattress guy to ask that question. And so I did it. He said his was uh, his was to inspire the uninspired. And he took that very seriously through mattress sales. And I actually don't even really remember what mine was. But it was an interesting exercise to go through. I wonder how many of you have thought about it. What? What's my purpose? I remember an older guy came in. He uh he was a he was an interesting guy too. He was a counselor whose career hadn't gone well, so he was stuck working with you know young guys like me trying to sell mattresses. And he had to do this on his first day. I remember he came in the next day with it in his hand, handwritten a full page, and he said, "You know, I really thought this was a stupid assignment when they gave it to me. You know, I'm just trying to make a buck." But he said this was a really good exercise because I hadn't thought about it. So how many of you have thought about it? What is your purpose? Are you living your life on purpose? Or are you living by accident? We're going to see today in the book of Philippians how figuring out our purpose, clarifying it, and living accordingly can bring joy in God through Jesus. And we're going to start living on purpose and not by accident. So we're just going to pick up in verse 12 and just start studying God's Word together. Verse 12 says, Paul is writing to this church... Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, remember, he's writing to this church congregation that loves him dearly, and he loves them dearly. There's great affection, and they know he's imprisoned, but they don't know a great deal more than that. Part of the reason that he's writing is to reassure them, but note that he's not reassuring them by saying, you know, it's really not that bad. They're feeding me. He doesn't try to put their worries at ease by saying He doesn't even say It's okay because God's getting me through this What fact does he point to In order to reassure Reassure his brothers and sisters That it's okay He says my circumstances Terrible as they may be Are wonderful Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is advancing He says I want you to know brothers That what's happened to me The fact that I've been in prison. We think he's probably in prison there for two years. All this has happened to me. Has really served to advance the gospel. See our purpose. Our understanding of our purpose. Shapes our perspective. How you understand your purpose. Will shape your perspective. On your circumstances. If you're a Christian. You are a person who. It's sinful, undeserving of salvation by God. But He saved you. Gave you a new heart. Reconciled you with God. New birth. You're a new creation. And Corinthians says that now you are to be an ambassador for Christ. Now you're to represent Him in the world. And you have purpose. This, let me just explain kind of how this works itself out. How it works itself out that your perspective is shaped by how you understand your purpose. If your purpose, if your goal, is physical comfort, then anything that comes along like illness or injury will destroy your joy. If your purpose and your highest goal is financial stability, then if you don't get that pay raise that you expected, or you lose your job, as many are, many have, your joy is destroyed. If your purpose... It's for the approval of others. If you're living so that others approve of you, criticism or embarrassment will destroy your joy. If Paul's purpose had been to be free, if his purpose had been to be comfortable, if his purpose had been to do what he had planned to do without interruption, his joy would have been crushed by this two-year imprisonment. But it wasn't. He wrote this really joyful letter from prison because his purpose was the advance of the gospel. And that was happening. His purpose was advancing. And so his understanding of his purpose shaped his perspective on his circumstances. Now I want to highlight three ways, and send your insert too, that Paul could see joyful purpose in his circumstances. And we'll see if it can't help us a little bit. I'm going to read verses 13 and 14. Paul says, As a result... It has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously. The first way Paul recognized that there was joyful purpose in his terrible circumstance was that it put him in contact with the palace guard, the praetorian guard. These are really influential people. And it seems as though his circumstances were this. He was not in like a prison that you might be picturing. It was more like house arrest. He was in a house, literally chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day to make sure that he didn't escape. So the guards would rotate, and four different men per day would be chained to Paul for, what would that be, six hours? Four different men chained to Paul for six hours. So he lost all his privacy you know, even going to the bathroom, there's a Roman guard chain right there. All his freedom, he had these big plans to go and visit his churches and spread the gospel and encourage his people for two years. Those were his circumstances. And we would say, Paul, how could you be joyful? Everything you planned, surely they didn't even probably let you keep any possessions and your chain to Roman guards all day long. How could you be joyful? And he would look at us and say, how could I not be joyful? I'm chained to Roman guard for six hours and then it changes and another guy's chained to me. These guys are my captive audience for six hours a day, four per day. And they are hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Roman palace guard, these were influential men, politically influential. So the whole palace guard is talking about Jesus. How could I not be joyful? So who is in your life right now? Some of you are in unpleasant circumstances. Those unpleasant circumstances may have put you into contact with people that God wants to hear and see the gospel. Maybe that is one of the purposes for your current circumstances. Who's in your life right now? I'd encourage you to actually list it out. I did it. I listed it out. And I don't just mean terrible circumstances. All your situational things. Who has, brought, who has God brought into your life because of your situation? I listed mine out. I have my family. Meredith, Lillian, and Elias. My extended family. Her parents, my parents, our siblings. These are people in my life. Recently, I bought, we bought a van at the Toyota place. Scott Clark Toyota. Got a couple of Scott Clark Toyota people here. During that period of time, the first time we never bought a car. Very scary. And I was very uptight about every detail of it. They had they showed great patience with me as I asked them constant questions and drove them crazy. But during that time, I was my situation, we needed a car, one had died. My situation put me in contact with these guys. And it was stressing me out. And Meredith and I talked about it. It was stressing us out because, you know, can we really afford it? Maybe we can. There's just a lot of numbers to run. And the thought occurred to me, you know. Yes, the purpose of this whole experience is to get a vehicle that has a working air conditioner and isn't going to leave us stranded. But the greater purpose of it is, God has put me there in contact with people at Scott Clark Toyota. Two two in particular, my salesman and, and a finance guy. So my prayers changed from just, God help me to be wise about this, don't let me do something stupid. To that, plus, Lord, how can I advance your gospel in this place? And what's really amazing is he gives opportunities. I remember the, the last time I was there, I brought the van in for something. I, I can't remember what it was. And I was sitting on a bench waiting, and my sales guy just came up and sat down beside me, and we just talked. And he opened up to me about how he's, he's newly married, and it's really hard. It's been six months, and his wife is a daddy's girl, and so his influence has more authority over her than he does. And he's just like opening up all this stuff to me. And I didn't start counseling him or anything. You know, I really just listened the other guy, I really was only involved with two guys there. The other guy was telling me about how his young son died within the year of SIDS and how it's all he can do now to not be an alcoholic. And we talked about, and he's a Christian, so he talked about how we talked about the faith and how it corresponds with that. Now, you know, I don't know what God may do with any of that. It wasn't a, a Billy Graham evangelistic crusade in Toyota, but that sense of purpose there. Brought me great joy in the midst of the stress of doing this thing I'd never done before. We're trying to sell our house at Albemarle, so I'm in contact with the realtor. Our neighbors. I get to work with the youth in this congregation. With all you folks, God has put you in my life. I get to, to meet the youth's parents, some that don't go to our church and their siblings. My Facebook group of people that I come into contact with. Just the people driving down 2427. Think through, who has God put in your life? Because I suspect that some of us may be lacking joy because we've just lost sight of our whole purpose for being here. Some of you may have been going through the motions of going to work, coming home, feeding the dog, eating the dinner, cleaning the dishes, going to bed, repeat. For years. Some of you may have been caught in that grind for years and just forgotten to think about, why am I doing any of this? One purpose for it might be the people that it puts you into contact with. And this is one of the clearest this passage is one of the clearest ways that I can see how this joy and God through Jesus can transcend circumstances because sometimes it's the worst circumstances that bring about these opportunities. Maybe the reason you're having to sit in the staffing agency every week looking for a job and you haven't found one is because the employees and the other people there looking for jobs need to see how a Christian lives through unemployment. Maybe that's why you're there, because there's somebody there God wants to shine the gospel through you to. Maybe you're in that hospital bed for so long because there are doctors and administrators and patients there that need to see the gospel lived out in your life and spoken through your lips. None of these things happen by accident. None of these people are in my life by accident. When I worked at the Olive Garden, another one of my jobs to get me through school, it was a worst job. I think I probably ranted about it before. It was terrible. I am the worst waiter. If you did a, a personality profile to figure out who's the best waiter, who's the worst candidate to be a waiter, I would be the worst. I couldn't remember anything. It stressed me out. Meredith can attest to the fact that I can only think about one thing at a time. And then it takes me a few minutes to be able to transition my brain to the next thing. And when you wait tables, you're hearing orders left and right, and you got people swarming left and right. The cooks are screaming, the cooks are yelling. I would always be like forgetting things, messing up orders, taking too long. One time I spilled a tray of six plates of food. The cooks do not like it when they have made six plates of food and they're in the weeds and they're rushing and you spill it. They don't like that. One time I spilled a glass of ice water on an old lady. Nobody likes that either. It was bad, it was terrible, it was hard. And finally, I got to the point where I would have to get to work 10 minutes early so I could spend that 10 minutes in intense prayer before I went in. I mean, you would think that I was about to storm the beach at Normandy. I'm like, God, just help me. Help me. Help me get through this. Help me to do okay. Help me not to mess up. And then eventually those prayers, as I got to know people, started to shift a little bit. They were still, help me please get through this shift. But they were also, and help me in any way that you see fit to communicate your gospel to the people I work with and to the people I serve. And again, it wasn't a Billy Graham evangelistic crusade in the Olive Garden, but I started to see purpose fill my days there. And even though it was really hard and I, was, I felt like freeze a bird the day I quit, I could have soared into the clouds, But even still, I felt that God was filling me with joy as I tried to live through that purpose there. The trick is to figure out what God's purpose is for your life and to try to align your purpose with that. The trick is to try to figure out what is God's purpose for my life and then to try to align your goals and your purpose with that. The second way that we see that Paul found joyful purpose in his terrible circumstance in prison was that it gave him a unique opportunity to communicate the gospel. It not only put these people in his lives... His specific circumstance gave him a very unique angle from which to communicate the gospel. These guards not only got to be chained to a Christian all day, they got to see how the gospel works itself out in the life of a Christian in bad circumstances. They got to see how a Christian responds to being in prison for two years. He couldn't have explained, he could not have lived out... That facet of the gospel in any other way than being in that terrible circumstance? What advantage can you exploit in your current situation? What advantage do you have as far as the advancing of the gospel goes, do you have in your current situation that you wouldn't have otherwise? And again, I'm not just talking about the terrible circumstances. Even if you're just carpooling with people. That gives you an advantage to communicate the gospel. And if it is terrible circumstances, if you are in the hospital laid up, that gives you an opportunity to show how a Christian responds to illness and being bedridden. Opportunities to show how the gospel really works itself out in real people's lives, not just suit-wearing guys up on the pulpit one day a week, but real, where the rubber meets the road life. People need to see how the gospel affects our lives People need to see that more than they need to get a tract handed to them Or to find a tract laying on a table When I was waiting tables at Olive Garden Everybody hated working on Sundays Because Christians were the cheapest people And they were often the most demanding They just were And so the tips would be terrible And the work would be hard And nobody wanted to work on Sunday afternoons Christians should be the most generous people What a way to just in a practical way show a little sliver of the gospel. If you could tip in such a way that the people would say, Why would you tip me this generously? And you could say, Well, God has given me everything. Who am I to be stingy with anybody? And suddenly even tipping has purpose. I heard a story from one pastor who had gotten in a car accident. He was a one of these guys on the radio, people knew his name. And he got into a bump up. It wasn't his fault. Somebody rear ended him. So the police officer came, took their licenses, and he just seemed to be holding this pastor's license for a really long time. And the guy waited. He had appointments he needed to be at. The pastor just waited and waited and waited and waited. And finally, the police officer came back with his license after everybody else was able to leave. And said, The reason I kept you here so long is I recognized your name on your license, I've heard you on the radio. And I wanted to see how you would really react to this accident and the inconvenience that it caused you. How is your reaction to your situation and your circumstances influencing people? Is it causing them to see the glory of God and the truth of the gospel? Or is it causing them to see that it's Christianity things just like everything else? They're just going through the motions just like I am. There's nothing new to that, there's nothing there. The third way Paul saw a joyful purpose in his circumstances, it gave him a unique opportunity to encourage his brothers. In verse 14, it says, Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearfully. These Christians were skittish about communicating the gospel, clearly for good reason. It got Paul put in prison for two years. But something about how Paul lived through this circumstance encouraged these Christians. To boldly proclaim the gospel. To boldly live for the gospel. I am very pleased to say that there are many examples. Specifically that I can think of in our church. Of people who have lived their faith out with purpose. Through terrible circumstances. People who have lived such a way through terrible circumstances. That have been a huge encouragement to the faith of the Christians around them. People who have lived through tragedy. People who have lived and are living through physical pain and discomfort and illness. In such a way that it brings me, I know, tremendous encouragement that this gospel is true. There is power here. How are you reacting to your circumstances? How is your reaction influencing the Christians around you? Is it encouraging them with boldness in the gospel? For the sake of time, I just have to get to the rub here. I want to skip down to verse 21. Paul says, sums it all up. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. To live is Christ. To die is gain. This is a guy who understood his purpose. To live is Christ. To die is gain. I've heard it said when people are stressing out, somebody will say, will it even matter in a month? This thing that you're stressing about, will it even matter in a month? And usually it doesn't. What I'm asking you this morning is, what you're stressing about or what you're doing, what you're applying yourself toward, the goals that you're pursuing, will it matter in eternity at all? Are you, with Paul, saying to live as Christ? Or are you saying to live as work? To live is my marriage. To live is my family. All these things are going to go away in eternity. And only one thing is going to matter anymore. And that will be the advance of the gospel. Devote yourself to the advance of the gospel in everything you do. And in every circumstance you find yourself. And on the word of God, you will find joy in God through Jesus. And You'll be able to say with Christ to—I li- I mean, with Paul—to live is Christ. You'll be able to say to work is Christ. To be a member of Dunes Grove is Christ. To go play golf is Christ. To retire is Christ. I was speaking with a gentleman from our congregation this week. It was a great encouragement to me, and he said, "You know, I've been working my whole life. It's what I do. But you know, when it came time to retire, I felt like..." You know, it's time to shift in how I serve the Lord. And he's using his retirement to advance the gospel through serving God. I know another man in my life who is dying to retire. He's not a part of this church. And I'm like, what are you going to do when you retire? He's not a Christian. Are you just going to watch movies all day? What kind of purpose is that? Surely that will lead to despair and joylessness. With Paul, I hope that we can all say to live is Christ. And then we can say that to die is gain. To die is just a final step in our purpose. Next thing we'll know will be Jesus' presence. And if death will thwart your highest purposes, then I think it's a clear indicator that you need to find God's purpose for your life and realign your purposes with it. Devote yourself to the advance of the gospel. In everything you do, in every circumstance you find yourself, I promise you on the authority of God's word that you will find joy that transcends circumstances. It may not always be a smiling joy, but it will be a purposeful joy, a foundational joy in your heart.